0: Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and verse 19, we will not be expounding these verses, but these verses will serve as a summary of all that we will be considering this evening. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, the word of the Lord reads, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, This coming Lord's Day morning, Pastor Isaiah will be teaching on the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And so, therefore, I thought it might be helpful then to preach a sermon on baptism so that this sermon might serve as a good accompanying sermon, since the Lord's Supper and baptism are the two ordinances of the church. After we have, or since we have read Hebrews 9 or 10, 19 to 25, let us also consider the 97th question of our Baptist Catechism. And it goes like this. Question. What is baptism? Answer. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament instituted by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized a sign of his fellowship with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins, and of his giving up himself unto God through Jesus Christ to live and to walk in newness of life. Brothers and sisters, Baptism is a ceremony with rich meaning and symbolism. Baptism signifies our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Baptism signifies the washing away of our sins. It signifies the washing away of our sins by the power of the Holy Spirit. Water in the Old Testament was used as a metaphor to describe the Holy Spirit. Baptism makes those... ...who belong to the Lord, clearly marked out by those who are witnessing as being one of the children of God. Baptism marks us as the children of God who are called to walk in newness of life. Thus, baptism is prominently emphasized in the New Testament as the front door entrance into the church, into the church of Christ. And and into all of the blessings that are found in Christ Jesus... To live a life by the Spirit of Christ. Now, that's a lot said, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, how do you view your baptism? What is and what was, what was and what is the purpose and meaning of your baptism? Have you been baptized? Have you considered that baptism is more than a symbol? Along with the Lord's Supper, baptism serves to strengthen our faith in Christ. Baptism, like the Lord's Supper, is an effectual means of our salvation. In other words, baptism is a means of grace. It is a special way in which God pours out his blessings on our souls. Uh, Not apart from faith, meaning just because you are baptized doesn't mean that uh, faith is poured out into your soul. It's not the ceremony itself, not the ritual itself, as if baptism was some kind of magic deed or magic trick. Baptism requires true faith. And when true faith is accompanying baptism, blessings are poured out on our soul. For the one partaking in the ordinance and also for the one who is once again witnessing the ordinance. Through faith and through the power of the Spirit, baptism strengthens our faith in a very special and unique way. It is time, in, this, in the time that the Lord has uh, brought me to saving faith and to the reformed faith, I have learned that baptism is notoriously controversial. It is a very controversial subject. Uh, much ink and much blood has been spilt over who should and who should not be baptized. How one must be baptized. How baptism should be administered or, or, and to whom it should be administered to. What baptism accomplishes as well. Oftentimes, uh, many of these debates have caused the, listen to this, just give me Jesus people, to throw up their hands and say, does it really matter? Does all of this fighting and fussing about baptism, does it really matter at all? Does Christ really care about all of these things? Yes, he does. And you know those people, don't you? Those people who are repulsed by even the word, here it is, doctrine. I don't want doctrine. I just want Jesus. You know those people. Brothers and sisters, if we don't have right doctrine, then we will not have right, God-glorifying living. Uh, we have said this before. It is theology and doxology. They are not two separate streams, but they are one. And they, they are constantly intertwining and interwoving one another to make a strong Christian. One who is combining theology and doxology. We must have the both. We must not overlook the special blessing even that is provided for us in baptism. And if there is a blessing provided to us in baptism, then we must do it right. Or else we're not going to receive the blessing that is there for us in baptism. Uh, and this may be difficult to see. It may be difficult to even here today as we're sitting here. Some of us may have been baptized uh, 10, 20, maybe even five years ago. And just say, but I'm still being blessed by baptism? How is baptism still having effects, effects on my life? And it's difficult because we've only been baptized once. It's something that we've only done once. And for many of us, we, we, especially in this church, we don't see it all the time. So then how is it supposed to be a, a blessing for us continually? Especially since we partake of the Lord's Supper every week. We see the blessing there. We, we are, are partaking in it every week. Baptism is a one-time act. It's a one-time ceremony. But, brothers and sisters, the benefits that we receive from baptism are not a one-time event. They are ongoing. They are continuous. As a matter of fact, when we survey the New Testament, we find that baptism continues to be a central emphasis in the Christian's life long after the ceremony of baptism has passed. The blessings and benefits of baptism continue long after you've been baptized. I wonder if you've thought about that. Think about this. How did you feel when you were baptized? What was the the anticipation like when you were baptized? The day that you were going to be baptized. You remember you remember the, the excitement that you felt, the anticipation that you felt when you knew that today I'm going to make a public declaration of my faith before all of my brothers and sisters to see. You remember going to, for some of you, that cold water and your feet first feeling the, the sensation of freezing cold water and even looking at the... the, uh, the contraption that you were baptized in, thinking, will I survive this box? Will I come up alive? Will they be able to, to bring me all the way down and bring me up? You remember coming up out of the water, and you remember seeing the faces of your brothers and sisters, but I think you, more than that, you remember how you felt at that moment when you came out of the water. You remember the hugs that brothers and sisters gave you as they congratulated you and welcomed you. As I am saying some of these things, I see smiles on some of your faces. I see joy that you have, for some of you, have forgotten. Brothers and sisters, the blessings and the benefits that were provided for you on that day remain today. Today I would like like you to see far from being something that is a one-time experience that we move from and then on to bigger and better things. Baptism is something that we should That should serve us to fortify our faith and sustain us until Christ returns or calls us home. Baptism is something that we do in obedience to the Lord. It is a vow that we make to God, but it is also a vow that God makes to us. It is therefore a true covenant ceremony between bridegroom and, and bride. It is only when we see, I think, both sides of this that we can enjoy the the richness and see the beauty and wonder of baptism. And it will be used to strengthen our faith. So let us consider this idea of our vow to God and God's vow to us with three points this evening. Number one, baptism is a vow that we make to God. Baptism is a vow that we make to God. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3, please. Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, the context is that John the Baptist is fulfilling his prophetic call, preaching the gospel out in the wilderness of Judea. He is preaching and preparing the people of God for the coming of the Messiah. And the message of John the Baptist was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible tells us how the people of John's day received John's message. Matthew chapter five, uh, 3 and verse 5. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the districts surrounding around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Their success. People are hearing the message of John the Baptist, and they are responding In obedience, they are coming and they are being baptized. They are repenting of their sins. This is the first appearance of what will be developed into New Testament baptism. Notice what happens then next. As all of Jerusalem and Judea are are coming to be baptized by John, there is a group of people, an unsuspecting group of people, that arrive as well the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, we might think this is great. The Pharisees have shown up. The Sadducees, the the lawyers of the day, they are here as well. They've also come to be baptized, to repent of their sins. We might think this was a good thing. But John was not happy by their presence. Isn't that amazing? The one who was baptizing, who was calling those to come and, and repent of their sins and be baptized in water, is not happy when he sees The hypocrites of the day coming to be baptized. He did not celebrate their presence as maybe the others did. As maybe the others who were being baptized were in awe of the Sadducees and Pharisees as they came. John the Baptist was not impressed. As a matter of fact, here's the first thing he says to them in verse 7. You brood of vipers. Not welcome. Now, how many of you would have loved That reception at this church. You brood of vipers, what are you doing here? Well, thankfully you're not one of the Pharisees and Sadducees. John the Baptist says, you brood of vipers, that is, you you sons of the serpent. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? This was not a greeting or the greeting they were hoping for. John, why? Because John saw through their hypocrisy. He said to them in verse 8, if you want to be baptized, therefore bear fruit, if you will, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. John the Baptist called these men to prove the sincerity of their act. If you are truly coming to be baptized, then produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you are truly coming to repent of your sins, then prove it. I said to my son the other day when we were speaking about... Uh, we were in a time of worship, uh, and we were speaking about true Christians. Uh, uh, John, we were speaking about Judas. We're in Mark chapter 14 together. And I said, was Judas a real believer? And he said, well, no. Well, how do you know he wasn't real, a really a true believer? Because he betrayed Jesus. That's right, son. So, is saying that you believe in Christ enough? And he says, no. And I said, if I say to you, and I said to him, how do you know that someone is truly saved? And he says, well, repent of your sins. How do you know someone has repented of their sins? And he said, you just say the word. I said, do you just need to say the word, though? Is there, does there need to be something more than just saying, I repent of my sins? Each Lord's Day, we have a time of confession, and we repent of our sins. Do we really repent of our sins, or do we just say, I've sinned? you see the difference? I said to him, what if I told you, son, that I could touch the clouds in the sky? He would say, no, you can't. He said, no, you can't. I said, but how do you know I can't? He said, because you can't. I said, but how do you know I can't? What would you say to me if I said, I can touch the clouds? He said, you can't do it. I said, that's not what you should say. If someone says to you, I can touch the clouds, tell them, do it. Prove it, right? Go out there and prove it. And so I used another example. And finally, I got to the point of saying, if someone says something, what's the evidence of what they're saying? He says that they prove it, that they do it. So if someone says, I repented of my sins, what evidence do you want to see? I want to see them live a life of obedience. This is producing fruit. This is showing that you have turned from your sins and turned to Christ. If you're not repenting of your sins, then your baptism is null and void. And how many people have I baptized in ignorance, saying, yes, come be baptized. You want to be baptized? Be baptized. And they had taken Roman Catholic theology into their baptism, thinking that if I'm baptized, now I'm saved, and I can go on and live a sinful life without repenting of my sins. Not the case. John was calling these men to display fruit. What is fruit? It is a truly repented heart. John refused to, believe, uh, to, rep- to baptize those who said they loved God, but yet violated his commands or distorted his commands. You know that, that is taking God's name in vain. When you teach something about God that God has not said, you are taking God's name in vain. These men were violating the law of God. While thinking at the same time they were upholding the law of God. He refused to baptize people who claimed to be in covenant with God simply because of their physical relationship to Abraham. Rather, John the Baptist called these religious leaders to bear fruit. If you are truly being baptized, then bear fruit. Show that you are truly repenting of your sin. Baptism is a sign of our repentance. It is a sign that we have uh, turned from sin and turned to Christ Repentance and baptism go hand in hand. Baptism is a vow that we are making to God, that we are turning away from sin, turning away from other suitors, if you will, and turning to God in his righteousness. We'll use this, this uh, marriage ceremony analogy a lot. It, when you make a, a commitment to your husband or to your wife, you are saying, I am turning to you and turning away from all others. When we make a vow in baptism to Christ, we are saying, I am turning to you and turning away from all others. Peter, in Acts 2.37, preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost to the very ones who put the Lord of glory to death. And he says to them, uh, and when they heard this message, the Bible says in Acts 2.37, you don't need to turn there, they were pierced to the heart. And the response to the apostles was, Brethren, what shall we do? What was Peter's response? Do better. Try harder. No, brothers and sisters, it was repent. Each and every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit again. We sing baptism accompanied with or coupled with what? repentance. What must I do, brothers? Repent of your sins and be baptized. Turn from the suitors of the world, from the sins of the world, and turn to Christ. Make a public confession before all people that you are identifying yourself with Christ, that I am making a vow to Christ. Peter called the people to be baptized in obedience to God's word. And the conclusion, which was not so much a conclusion, but a beginning for those who received this message of the gospel, they were baptized and then they were accepted into that number, into the church. Or consider Acts 22:16, where Paul is recalling when he first saw the Lord and his encounter with Ananias. He came to Ananias blinded by the vision he received from Christ. And when Ananias saw Paul, Saul who became Paul, he says to him, Ananias saying to Paul, get up. Be baptized and wash away your sins. Baptism is something that we do in obedience to God. The Lord Jesus commanded that his disciples are, are, were to be baptized and that they were to follow all of his commands and teach others to be baptized and to follow his commands. In order for Paul to partake in the blessings of salvation, he must have his sins washed away, as it were, and be Baptized. Baptism is so intimately tied to faith in Christ that Ananias tells Paul that when he calls upon the name of Christ, when he is identified with Christ in baptism, that his sins will be washed away. It's analogous. It's analogous to water and the Spirit of God. He's not saying literally baptism will wash away your sins. It is symbolically washing away your sins through water. We know that baptism does not save you. But it is what saved people do. Baptism does not save you, but it is what saved people do. They are baptized. Galatians 3, 27. For all of you were baptized into the name of Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. Another version says you have put on Christ. My dad... uh, Back in the day, when we would go to the prisons, he had a sermon called, Who Are You Wearing? Now, my dad was an old uh, charismatic preacher, but the title was interesting. And he was uh, comparing it to those who walk down a red carpet. And as they're walking down the red carpet, the fashion people are usually asking, Who are you wearing today? Oh, I'm wearing an Armani. Who are you wearing today? I'm wearing a Versace And his response to that prison crowd was, who are you wearing? Paul says, put on Christ. Put on Christ. The apostle is saying that baptism is like putting on a new change of clothes. This is why the early church used to wear white garments when they baptized their new members to signify that they were putting on a new, pure, white garment. Baptism is putting on Christ And thus it serves as a vow that you make to God to walk in accordance with the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is Lord over your life. It is like putting on a new life, baptism is. It is like putting on a new way of living. This is why Paul says, you are putting on Christ. Think about the tense there in Galatians 3.27. He says, uh, if you have been baptized, you are putting on Christ. You have vowed to walk in obedience to him. It's a present act. And it's a continuous act. It's not uh, you have done so in the past. It is you are doing so and you are continuing to do so. Put on Christ. Baptism is not an event that you leave in the past. It is a past event that has continual effects now and for the future. You are presently and you are currently doing this. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. In 1 Peter 3.21, Peter makes a provocative statement, and one that is misunderstood by the cults. He says in 1 Peter 3.21, Baptism now saves you. Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from from the flesh or the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. What he says is baptism is an appeal or or a pledge to God. It it carries with it a a legal connotation. It's an official pledge that you make to God for a good conscience. Peter is saying your baptism is an appeal that you make to God. And the appeal is this. Appeal is is, uh, you are asking. I've trusted in Christ. My sins have been paid for by his death. My appeal is, therefore, cleanse and purify my conscience, because in Christ I believe I am forgiven. That's the appeal that we make to God for a good conscience. When you come to the waters of baptism, that's really what you are appealing to God for. I believe in Christ. I believe He is the Son of God. I believe that He is God in the flesh. I believe that He lived, He died, He rose, He ascended into heaven for my justification i believe all of these things therefore because i believe these things let me come to the waters of baptism let my conscience be cleared and let me uh, by this symbol declare that i've been forgiven by him that's our appeal to god when we come to the waters of baptism let's go to one final passage in this point romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and the Word of God says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin, so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Listen to this, listen to what he says. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too you might walk in newness of life. Did you hear that, brothers and sisters? Paul says that your baptism, it symbolizes your union with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. When you were baptized, you were identifying yourself with Christ. You have publicly made this vow to Christ. Therefore, What? How can we continue to sin? How can we continue to sin? We have turned away from all the other suitors and we've made a vow to Christ. How then, after we've made a vow to Christ, do we turn back to the other suitors and say, I will entertain you? We are baptized. We were, if you remember, we were elated the day of our baptism. But almost, and you might be able to attest to this, almost immediately after our baptism, we were assaulted. We were assaulted by the world. We were assaulted by Satan's devices. We were assaulted by the flesh. And it came so quickly that some of us almost immediately forgot that we were even baptized at all. As if it had never happened. Brothers and sisters, baptism will not make all the presence of sin disappear. And I think that sometimes when we come to the waters of baptism, that's our misunderstanding. Everything will be so much better now. It's like those uh, couples who get married and say, if we get married, everything will be so much better. Well, if you stay married, you know, after a while, it will get better. But the first year or two is rocky. Rocky mountains, right? We will, brothers and sisters, wrestle against sin until Christ returns or calls us home. But this does not take away from the grace and the power that is provided for us in baptism. Just like trouble in your marriage... Will come, but it does not take away from the beauty and the joy and the absolute fulfillment that Christ gives us in our marriages. Baptism is the first act of a Christian of their drawing near to God by faith. It is an act wherein we signify and symbolize our repentance that we've turned from sin. Turn toward God and his righteousness. It is an act in which we clothe ourselves in Christ and and make a pledge to walk in good works. It is a vow that we make to walk in accordance with his lordship as Lord over over our lives. These are our baptismal vows. You remember when you came to the waters? What did we say to you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You said, I do. Do you believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? You said, I do. Do you believe that Christ lived a life that you could not live, died the death that you deserve, rose again for our justification, and is seated at the right hand of the Father? You said yes. Have you repented of your sins, and are you turning to Christ and turning away from the world? You said yes, and we said, because of your confession of faith, we baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember this? This was your baptismal vow. Where did we get this from? Romans 10. Whoever believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, he shall be saved. By all evidence that we have, theologians say this was the first baptismal vow. That those who came to the waters of baptism in the early church made this vow. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? They said yes. And they were baptized. Baptism loses part of its essential meaning if we ignore the vow that we make to God. Brothers and sisters, you've made a vow. You've made a vow to God you have been baptized. And that vow still remains. It's not been left in the past, just like your marriage. Although the anniversary and date of it has been left in the past, you do not leave the effects and the love of your marriage back on that day you got married. It grows, doesn't it? My wife said to me something, and I think she wanted something from me. He said, I think I love you now more than I did the day I met you. I said, I don't got no money in my pocket. There's another side to this, though, isn't there? Number two. Baptism is a means of grace where God makes a vow to us and blesses us on a continuous basis. God God blesses us not just on the day of baptism, but each time we gather with God's people and witness the baptism of, of others. Uh, When you see the baptism of others, don't you remember your own baptism? When you see, as we will hopefully in a few weeks, uh, see our brother Scott baptized, he will have a great benefit uh, because he'll be baptized in the summer of Bakersfield rather than the winter of Bakersfield. But you will remember your baptism, you'll remember the, the blessings that were yours and that are yours when you were baptized. Baptism serves as a continuous blessing for all believers, not just those who are being baptized on that day. Let's, let's dig more into this. Romans 6.4 Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a visual picture of the gospel. Baptism is a visual picture of the gospel. How so? The one baptized goes down into the water. And as they are going down into the water, it is as though they were going down to their grave. They're placed under water. They're totally immersed. There is no air, unless you're a fish. There is no air. And this is to symbolize Christ who went down to his death. They're down in the water. And some of you who are baptized... Let me just say you couldn't hear what everyone was saying out there. But most people, especially you, Isaac, said, keep him down longer. As long as, he can, as long as he can take. Right? And then the person rises. <gasps> they rise symbolically clean and purified, washed. And that first breath of air is like the, the first breath that is likened to the new life. In Christ, after descending into a watery grave, they are ascending now into a newness of life. Baptism is a visual depiction of Christ and His work. It is a visual depiction of Christ who actively obeyed all that was required of Him in the covenant of redemption and passively laid down His life as the Lamb slain on behalf of all of those whom He came to die for. And He rose, did He not? He rose from the grave, being the first ...of the new creation to rise from the grave. And because Christ has risen, we too shall be raised. And not only did he rise, but he ascended into glory. He has earned and entered that eternal Sabbath rest before us... ...and promises that we too will join him there. This is why today is the day of rest. It is rest throughout this week... ...and then pilgrimage throughout the rest. And then rest on this week... And then sojourn throughout the rest. We are the true Hebrews of this day. We are the ones who are uh, traveling to the new Jerusalem. And Christ is already there. And he has promised because he is there, we too will be there. And when we go to the waters of baptism, all of this is symbolized there. This visual gospel message is preached to us. At baptism, much like the Lord's Supper, which we'll take in a few moments, God treats us as a body and soul. With baptism and the Lord's Supper, God gives us signs that we can see and that we can feel. God gives us sensory emblems of his love and his truth. In the Lord's Supper, we can see visually bread being broken and torn, and we can liken that to the body of Christ that was broken and torn. We see visually the cup and its color, and we can liken that to the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. We see these things. Our Pastor Isaiah did, a, a, I told my wife, a wonderful job painting pictures with his words this morning. But in baptism and the Lord's Supper, we actually see those words. They are there in front of us. The Holy Spirit works in these ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And through them, strengthens our faith again in the same way. When we see baptism, we are reminded of Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. In baptism, we are uniting ourselves to Christ in a very symbolic, visually symbolic manner. We come to the waters of baptism with our old life. We are put to death in the waters of baptism and then risen anew to to walk as new creations in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a visual message of the gospel. It tells us, baptism tells us, and it tells others, that our sins have been cleansed by Christ. It tells us, and it tells others, that our consciences have been cleansed, cleansed by Christ. And it tells us, and it tells others, that we have freedom in Christ. Baptism, therefore, preaches a sermon to God's people. And it is a sermon that has enduring, lasting effects. Not just for the one who is baptized in particular, And on that particular day, but for every single believer that has ever been baptized, the effects of that baptism should be affecting you even now. This is one of the reasons why we Baptists, Reformed Baptists, insist that the proper mode of baptism is immersion and not sprinkling and not pouring water on the head. Because a sprinkle does not depict the gospel. A pouring water on the head does not depict the gospel. It is complete immersion that depicts the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ that is used as a visual way of strengthening our faith in Christ. Peter said, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the salvation, God's great salvation in the flood. And how God delivered Noah and his family. In the waters of judgment. Peter was writing. Listen to this. He's writing to urge the readers. That includes you and me here today. To persevere. To press on. To keep doing good. To endure. But notice this, brothers and sisters. He's not writing to people who are are going to be baptized per se. He's writing to a group of people that have already been baptized. He's not saying, This will be the benefit of your baptism. Rather, he's saying, Because you've been baptized, here's the benefit. The apostle uses a past event as a way to encourage the saints today and tomorrow for their need to press on. And the the encouragement that he uses is, You've been baptized. You made a vow. You made a vow to God. God made a vow to you and it saves you even now, even today. Not just on the day that you were baptized, but even now, even today. The baptism that you underwent still functions to save you today. To save you from this world. To save you from temptation. To turn away from it. To save you and sustain you. To persevere in the faith. Not the mere act itself, not the removal of dirt from the body, but what it signifies the cleansing of our consciences, the cleansing of sin, your union with Christ, the value made to Him. A sermon was preached uh, many, many months ago, maybe even a few years ago, and Pastor Isaiah said, Don't forget that you were baptized. Don't forget you were baptized. You made a vow to God. And there were witnesses to that vow. It is a means by which the benefits of Christ, all that Christ has earned by his life, death, and resurrection. He's earned forgiveness. He's earned righteousness. He's earned sanctification. He's earned holiness. He's earned eternal life. He's he's earned glorification. And so much more. These things that are given by faith are brought down and applied and given to you in your life through the participation of this ordinance, through repentance and baptism. All of these things are provided for you. It's interesting, isn't it? that the same means, benefits, and graces that are provided for us at the Lord's table are provided for you at baptism as well. We will neglect the Lord's table. But we are very eager to be baptized when the same benefits are provided for us at at the Lord's table that are provided for us at baptism. Therefore we should not neglect either one. Third and finally, baptism is a covenantal ceremony between God, the believer, and the church. This is now what we will turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25 once again. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The theme of this entire section is that Jesus Christ is the great and final high priest who brings us to God based upon his perfect sacrificial work of offering up himself. And here in verse 22, we see familiar language. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. This is Old Testament language. It is language that refers to the act of a priest drawing near to God in his priesthood. It was used all throughout the New Testament to describe the duties of the priest before they came into the presence of God. They would do these things required by God and then they would... Be allowed to draw near to God. In the same way, the writer is exhorting us to draw near as well. To draw near to the holy of holies. Because we now have access through Jesus Christ. The the duties that must be performed have been performed by Christ. Therefore, he has earned for us access into the presence of God. So therefore, let us draw near. The way has been opened by the blood of Christ. Not just anyone can draw near. You must be adequately qualified to draw near to God. So what are the qualifications of drawing near? Here it is. Ready? A sincere heart. In full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean. ...from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This is reference to the new heart given by the Holy Spirit by faith. We approach Him with true faith, with a heart that has been born again... ...through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. But secondly, our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience... ...which harkens back to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21... How baptism is an appeal to God for what? A clean conscience. We come to him with our hearts sprinkled clean. We have full assurance of forgiveness. And verse 22, our bodies are washed clean with pure water. What is that? It's baptism. That is baptism. We come in faith. We come with a new heart. We come with our bodies to be washed and purified. And what is the conclusion? Verses 23 to 25, we hold fast our confession. Once we have, have been sprinkled clean in our hearts and given new consciences, we are baptized. And what is next? We hold fast. We hold fast to that, that vow that we made. We hold fast to our confession in Christ. That He lived, that he died, that he rose, that he has ascended. We hold fast to that vow. And how do we do it? How do we hold fast to that vow? Right? I'm sure that's a question that many have. But how do I hold fast? Is it all my strength? No. What's the other part of that equation? For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is... For God has made a vow to you as well. And he is faithful in that vow. Pastor Isaiah and I—I I don't mean to uh, continue to quote him, but I will. This this morning he said something that that penetrated my own heart as someone who makes these grand promises to my wife and to my son that that I will be there, that I will not let anything happen to you. And Pastor Isaiah made a, a a provocative and absolutely true statement this morning that Christ says to us what we cannot truly say to our husbands and to our our wives and to our husbands. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He can say that more truly than any of us can to our loved ones. He is faithful. He has made a vow that those who are his will never be snatched from his hand. He has made a vow that if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. He has made a vow that he will lay down his life and not lose any of his sheep. Praise be to God. Peter said, through the resurrected power of Jesus that holds you. It is like what our Lord said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He has made a vow and he will not turn back from that vow. The hope of maintaining our baptismal vows lie not in our strength alone. For in our baptism, God has made a vow to you. And he who promises faithful. Not surprisingly, the next place that the writer goes in the book of Hebrews is the duties that we all owe to the local church. Like marriage vows, we are making vows to to Christ. He is making vows to us. But we don't do this in a corner by ourselves. We don't go to our little corners in the church and say, I promise you this and and you promise me that. And everybody else can do whatever they want to do. Marriage vows are not made in private, are they? In a few weeks, our brother Louis and, and sister April I was going to say May, June, July they will be making public vows to one another, in the presence of witnesses, and we will all stand and we will say, "Amen, And we will keep you accountable to those vows," it is the same with our baptism. You were not baptized in a bathtub. In someone's house just you and that one person you're baptized in front of the congregation they have seen your baptism they they are consenting to your baptism and saying yes I I have seen this brother I have seen this sister they are making they are uh, producing fruit in keeping with repentance they love Christ with all of their heart all their mind their soul and their strength I consent to this baptism I agree it is right and should be done we make vows, but not alone. We do so in the presence of other believers. We make a vow as a bride, and God is making a vow publicly to us as well as our groom. And when has he done, when has he made this public vow? At the cross. At the cross, Christ has made his, this public vow. In being baptized himself, he has made this public vow. We are vowing to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and He has assured us this. Here's what He has assured us. We say, I will love you, right? All the vows that we make on that wedding day and I can say, let let, let me just say, I tell my wife all the time, I loved you first. I loved you before you loved me. I, I worked and got that little punk out of your life and I worked I got you. I loved you first. Christ can say that in a more sure way. You did not love me first. I loved you first. Christ can say in a sure way, in a more sure way, I have loved you with an eternal love. Here comes my wife. Don't say anything. He can say, I will truly never leave you nor forsake you. This is how all of us participate in the baptism of others as well. We are recalling our own baptism, giving consent to the one baptized of their true confession. We are supporting their vows. And it is beautiful to know that it is not just you, but that people around you are recognizing the work of grace that has been wrought in your life by the Holy Spirit. We see this vow and we participate in it as well. We must hold that baptism. It is a solemn ceremony between God who covenants with himself and covenants with us in a unique way. And in that covenant pours out special grace on his people. It's a wonderful gift that God gives for the encouraging of our souls. That we are his and he is ours. Brothers and sisters, remember your baptism. If you've not been baptized, repent of your sins. Be baptized. If you are waiting to be baptized, take all of the things that have been said today and have a better preparation than some of us did for our day of baptism. And if you have been baptized, do not for one second leave your baptism in the past, but rejoice for the ongoing, wonderful, gracious effects that baptism has on the life of every single person who confesses the name of Christ. Let us pray.